From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for, um, what is it? It is uh, Wednesday uh, in September uh, 2019. We are joined by Sean Davison here on the eve of the 2019-2020 PGA Tour season. Sean, it's been a long off season. I heard that you went on safari in Africa and you also went to Antarctica. Um, how was that? And you must be ready for the new season. You know, it was a long layoff. I had to keep myself busy somehow. So I just decided to see every corner of the earth I possibly could. It's been a lot of fun, but I think I'm ready to uh, dissect the Greenbrier and see what the 2019-2020 year has in store. <laughs> Isn't it just bizarre as much as we joke around about it? Here we are, two weeks later, time for a new season. Um, and the new season has started, and this is not a joke, with a fog delay this morning for the Pro-Am at the Greenbrier. So that's how the 2019-2020 PGA Tour season starts. It starts with a fog delay for those players in the Pro-Am. All right, on Monday we talked to Ryan Ballinger and did a lot of the big picture 30,000 feet stuff in regards to the schedule, the outcomes, Greenbrier, Tom Lewis trying to play two tours, there's a lot of moving pieces and moving parts here. For Sean, we're going to get to the micro, which is where we are in golf right now as we go into this new season. We ended on Sunday at the Tour Championship, Sean, with a Brooks versus Rory duel, which was the rematch of Memphis, which everybody wanted. It, was, it would almost guarantee that the right kind of person would win the Tour Championship, which is the worry. No offense to Jason Kokrak, but we didn't want somebody coming from 10 shots back suddenly on a quirky format to win the Tour Championship and $15 million. It came down to the right two people, or, or two of the right people. And Brooks Kepka was off his game, was off his game the entire playoff run. And Rory got his win, got his revenge over last year. And for me, this sets up a really interesting stage for Rory, which is where the heck is his game entering next season and the majors? He hasn't won a major since 2014 at Valhalla. He still is one major away from the Grand Slam. It's just this really weird quirk in time where he's on the precipice but can't get over the hump in some of the big events, yet does in others. It's very weird. No, you're absolutely right. He's fluctuated up and down leaderboards with seemingly no rhyme or reason each and every week. One week he looks great, the other week not so much. Um, but make no mistake about it, the game of golf is so much greater when Rory McIlroy is at his best. And in a lot of ways, as you mentioned, him winning the FedEx Cup when Brooks Koepka has kind of been the all-everything guy all season long really does set up a fun dynamic where Koepka's got unfinished business now, and Rory is the guy who might have a bit of a target on his back going into the new season. So you've got two guys who are great for the game on their own who are playing respectively well, and I look forward to seeing how Rory goes moving into this new year. Looking at the majors, we know he plays well at Augusta. He just can't get over the hump there. The PGA is going to be at Harding Park, where he won the match play, so he plays well there. Anytime you're talking about an open championship back closer to where he's from, you have to throw him into the conversation. And, of course, U.S. Open as well. He's won a U.S. Open in landslide fashion at Congressional. So the guy's played all four majors well. 
uh, and he's won three of the four, and he's won on one of the tracks that they're going to this year. So if you look at golf's biggest event, if Rory can keep himself in form and locked in this season, there's no reason why you couldn't expect him to have a big year. He is overdue for a major championship, and you have to imagine it's coming sooner rather than later. And I have a feeling that tour championship title was the start of a, I guess, a new wave or something special part two here for Rory in his career. And don't forget about the O word. You left that out, which is all these people who have unfinished business from the 2016 Olympics who um, bowed out because of Zika. Zika wound up not being a concern. It was justifiable why they pulled out at the time. But now in hindsight, I think a lot of fans have shotted them for, for what didn't amount. And unless, God forbid, something horrible happens in Tokyo, there is no excuse for not playing in the Olympics. And he's going to be right up there qualifying for that. That's going to be a huge opportunity for a lot of these top guys, excuse me, to represent their country for the first time, including Rory McIlroy. So that's something to watch also as we go in the next year. As you look at Brooks Kepka, and... I'll tell the story on the air because I just think it's hilarious. Did you see the Kyle Van Balkenberg um, article that coincided with the release of the ESPN uh, body issue? I don't think so. Okay, so this is hilarious. They release a teaser photo for the body issue, right? And it's this whole Kyle article, and Kyle is so good at what he does, and it's a really interesting profile, and it gets at a lot of um, what um, um, you think about Brooks and the way that he thinks and the mindset, whatever. And then there's a video that goes with it, and the video preview has him in a robe. So I'm thinking, okay, I think I'm safe here. And... Uh, no, it does not. It shows more areas than that. But the video, Sean, is narrated by Tom Rinaldi. It's a Tom Rinaldi sit-down interview with Brooks. <laughs> so it's the body issue, it's nudity, and it's Tom Rinaldi. Like, where's the piano? It was the weirdest juxtaposition I have had in a golf article in a long time. This really in-depth interview with Brooks, this video showing nudity, and a Tom Rinaldi sit-down interview. I don't know what else to say. Uh, the only thing I can say is that Tom Rinaldi literally does it all. Yes, um, yes, yes. And, and I think that's where I'm going to leave it. Uh, the dude's a pro's pro, and I've had the, the good fortune to know Tom for a number of years, and he's as good as it gets, and he can handle those oddball assignments um, better than probably anybody, I would imagine. And uh, you know what? If you want something done right, at least on the interview perspective, and, and you're looking at ESPN, I mean, there's tons of talented people there, but Tom Rinaldi's really separated himself, I think, and has cemented himself as the premier interviewer at ESPN. And he's done such a great job, you know, from the 30 for 30s to the E60s to the game day features to just feature programming whenever ESPN's covering big events, such as the Masters. And, of course, this year with ESPN picking up the first couple rounds of the PGA, um, you're going to see a lot of him sporadically throughout. And he does such a great job, as he always has. I um, tell... I'm surprised. I, 
that he did that sit down with Brooks. Um, but it is, as you mentioned, kind of a weird juxtaposition for sure. It was bizarre, and that's not something I ever thought Tom would do. I tell this story all the time. When Tiger did the sit-down interview with Tom, or, or actually was standing with Tom and Kelly Tillman after the scandal of 09, he picked Kelly because he knew her uh, since childhood and wanted somebody familiar, and picked Tom because he knew that it would show that, that he wanted to face all these concerns and, and people's um, issues with the scandal face on. And he said at the end of it, they shook hands and he said, thanks, Tom, you played it straight with me. Um, you know, it, it, it basically saying, I didn't take offense to one thing you asked. You did it right. And I just think that in that moment of crisis for Tiger and his whole team, for Tiger to say, thanks, Tom, you played it straight and fair, I, I think says all I need to know about Tom Rinaldi and why Tiger chose Tom. And they have a great relationship. And look at the Rafael Nadal interview from last week. When Tiger was in the building, it says it all. Um, Brooks's year is interesting because he wins the PGA, nearly wins the U.S. Open, has a chance at the Open, and his putter lets him down. The next week goes to Memphis and utterly demolishes Rory on Sunday and just runs away with that thing. Then gives an interview where he's genuinely emotional about these St. Jude kids and on the spot launches an initiative to help St. Jude Children's Research Hospital. And you can say whatever you want about stuff being calculated when it comes to him and what Jenna wore at the ESPYs and all that stuff. But for me, I think Kepka is a fascinating figure. And here we are in the run-up to the PGA, and Nance goes on this rant about Brooks not, not getting enough respect. And, you know, it got a lot of pickup because Jim Nance rarely rants. And, and nearly Vince's frustration, and that was apparently, I, I haven't heard the audio, but visible audio frustration from Jim Nance. And I think in that moment, we look at Brooks now as the preeminent number one player in the world, deservedly so. And this is not a chat about Brooks, because you and I have had 10,000 chats about Brooks. What I want to look at is what comes below that. If you separate Rory and, and Brooks, you now go to DJ Rose, JT, who got the bump from the win at the BMW, Rom Cantlay, Tiger's eighth, Xander's ninth, Bryson's ten, Francesco's eleventh, Finau twelve, Fleetwood thirteen. Who out of that next pack, after what you've seen in the 18-19 season, do you think is prime for a big 19-20 season to take on Brooks and Rory, who I would argue are now one two in the game? Well, I think you mentioned Justin Thomas getting the bump after winning the BMW. And for me, I think injury and the question marks surrounding an early season injury, or rather I should say mid-season injury because of the fall flake last year. And especially um, your wrist. Exactly. And especially when you're talking about the wrist, I think, I don't want to say it brought a, a sort of dark cloud over his season, but I think it brought some question marks that otherwise there wouldn't have been. Uh, and he was playing pretty well before he took some time off for that wrist injury. Had a chance to win at Riviera, and J.B. Holmes ended up doing that. But J.T. coming back from the injury, winning the BMW in the fashion that he did, birdies everywhere around Medina, which historically hasn't exactly been a course that's given up a ton of those. Um, you know, he's, he's showing that he's getting back to his old form. 
when he was winning majors, winning tournaments left and right, winning a handful of times a year, won a FedEx Cup a couple of years ago. I mean, the dude is a bona fide star and really announced his presence in a big way after kind of just sort of being Jordan Spieth's good buddy that was giving him a hug or a high five after Jordan Spieth was winning everything back in 2014, 2015. Uh, so for me, I think Justin Thomas is the guy out of that group that I'm going to be keeping an eye on more so than the others because I think his game is getting back to where it was a couple of years ago before the injury. I think another guy that I'll be interested to keep an eye on is Dustin Johnson simply because he didn't have the 2019, especially the end of 2019 that you would have expected him to have. So I think there's some unfinished business there. And then I think there's a couple of the younger Americans too, as well as John Rahm, who I think we're just starting to familiarize ourselves with. And I'm curious to see where we go from here. Patrick Cantlay is starting to establish himself as a top 10, top 15 player. John Rahm has been a consistent contender on big-time leaderboards. Can he get over the hump at some point this year? And then, of course, there's Xander Schauffele, who, if not for Brooks Kepka, we would be talking about this kid <laughs> and his five top sixes in majors when he's only played in 11. It's crazy. It's crazy. Brooks's number was nine this year. I don't know what, what Xander's is offhand, but the number is incredible. Yeah, he finished in the top six five times in his 11 career majors. It's nuts. He rises up in a big spot unlike anybody else. That young and that unheralded. Because what's crazy, and, and you follow college golf now because of Golf Channel, and you've also covered it at your time at Florida State. Xander was not this red-hot prospect everybody had circled on their calendars like a Victor Hovland-type person. He was not the Patrick Rogers, the Patrick Cantlays, um, the Brysons. He was not that red-hot, sexy guy. No, absolutely not. I mean, the one player that I think of more than any of them that caught so many headlines coming out of college was Jamie Lovemark. We yes. We a lot about Jamie Lovemark when he came out of college, and the poor dude can't catch a break with his health. I mean, the dude has been injured time and time and time again, and, you know, I certainly wish the best for him, but when you contrast a guy like Jamie Lovemark, who seemed to have everything ahead of him, he was going to be the world beater coming out of college, a lot like we're seeing now with the, the conversation about Hovland and Wolf and Morikawa and what it turned into by no fault of his own. And then you look at his Andrew Shalfley, who after he won at the Greenbrier, jokingly said, yeah, I'm a late bloomer. I'm starting to come into my own. Yeah, there's a point there. There absolutely is. And he's really turning up on the big stages. Won the WGC event out in China. Won the Champions event in Hawaii. He's a consistent contender in major championships. Doesn't matter the venue. Doesn't matter the stage. Uh, this guy's due for a big year at some point. We've already started to see that star turn. Uh, when does he take that next step? I think it's sooner rather than later. Could it be this year? Possibly. Uh, and and here's the other thing about that, too. If you remember, he won the Greenbrier by stiffing a wedge on 18. And Nance and Faldo, and, and you can tell, especially with Nance, when in his vocal tone, when something really surprises him and when something doesn't. It's kind of like Dan Hicks expect anything different, but it's not explicit. It's in vocal tone. And if you go back and watch that, there was genuine 
and, and understandable shock and surprise that under that much pressure for such a young, unheralded kid, he stiffs it on 18 like that. And that, I think, speaks volumes because Nansen Faldo are as tuned in as anybody. And, you know, here you go. Step up on a big stage. And they impressed, you know, two guys who have seen it all. And that, I think, really impressed me. All right. Next up is the President's Cup. And through all your ties with the NBC uh, golf guys, you know they are praying for a competitive President's Cup and or Tiger participating. <laughs> they want to make that flight to Australia worth it. And I don't think that's a, a, a trade secret that I've just given up. So, Finau, Woodland, Ricky, Reed, Tiger, Reavy, Kisner, Phil, Charles Howell, Billy Horschel. That is 9 through uh, 17 on the, on the President's Cup points list. If you're Tiger, right now, if the President's Cup was this week, who do you pick? Oh, God. Oh, wow. So you, you just threw that question on me. Yeah. Right. I told you I wasn't going to prep you for this interview. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Uh, can you run me through that list again? Yes. Finau, Woodland, Fowler, Reed, who, remember, Tiger guaranteed a captain's pick after he won the Masters last year. Tiger himself, Ches Reeve, Kisner, Phil, Charles Howell. Here's the deal with... And let me just start with Phil. Here's the deal. Um, kudos to him for getting himself in shape um, and, you know, winning on tour this past year at his age like he did at Pebble is no minor accomplishment. And he's really, in that way, gotten his game back to a spot where it hasn't been before. But the way his game fell off toward the tail end of the year is concerning to me. Um, look, all credit to the likes of uh, Charles Howell, who, who won for the first time in a while this past season. There's so many other picks that have more recent international team experience or are playing a little bit better. I, I'm not sure he makes the cut in this case. I'm looking more at the Patrick Reeves, who have that reputation in international competition, who just won a FedEx Cup playoff event that I would put on that short list. So I would go Reed. Tiger, I even put a question mark because I don't know how healthy he is. The only person who does is Tiger himself. So right now, I look at the Patrick Reed, the Tony Finau for sure. Tony played great at the Ryder Cup, especially in singles, and he's just always on leaderboards. He hasn't won a tournament since Puerto Rico, but he's always in the conversation, it seems, and that's the guy who's due uh, to win on the PGA Tour. So I would go Reed and Finau, I think, would be my two guys for sure. Maybe Tiger, if he's healthy, if he's feeling better, if the game's coming back around. And then you, you never know. Do you go U.S. Open champ with Gary Woodland? Do you go Ches Reedy, who finished off the season playing well, and take a chance on him? I think that fourth pick is really kind of a flex. I think if Tiger's healthy and wants it, he has every right to take a spot. I would absolutely give Patrick Reed and Tony Finau a spot on the team. And then from there, do you go Fowler? Do you go Reedy? Uh, where do you go? Uh, so you really have a conversation about that fourth spot. Maybe the last couple of spots if Tiger says he's not healthy enough and decides instead to be a sitting captain instead of a playing captain. So I think it all kind of rests in what he decides to do uh, with his own body and with his own playing status. 
here's how I look at it. And I think this is interesting. This is the reason why I asked that question. If I, I, you, you probably haven't had the time through, through, through all your working commitments to look through the commitment list. But there's a lot of guys, the Wolves, the Morikawas, the young guys, guys who are not on this list of, of what 9 through 17 were when the points got cut off who have committed to Asia. Now, there's multiple reasons for that. Three no-cut events, guaranteed FedEx got points, gigantic purses. But it's also close to when the cutoff is, November 4th, for um, when Tiger has to make his picks. For me, it comes down to one of two things. Does Tiger go with proven commodities, remembering that this team includes... Cantlay and Shoffley and Webb Simpson and Bryson, guys who have some but not a ton of international team experience? Or does he ask the PGA Tour, and you can ask them to do this, to keep the points list going, which is something they can do unofficially, where they would keep tabulating the points as, as they were through the end of the season, and when you get to November 4th, they hand Tiger a list and said, if the cutoff was right here, this is what the points would be. And does he take who's hot, remembering there's another month before? So do you go with proven commodities or do you go with guys who can prove themselves? And that's where you look at people like Kevin Na and Andrew Putnam and Bryson, uh, sorry, and, and Wolf and Morikawa and... Um, you know, people who may play themselves in by playing a bunch of fall events. Joel Damon's 37th on this list. What if he skyrockets if they keep the point system going? That, to me, is what's interesting about this decision Tiger has in November. Does he go proven or does he go hot? I, and I think it comes down to, I, I really do think it comes down to one or two spots where he has to make that determination. Yeah, and I think he makes it because of the marketing. I, I, I've had sources tell me that, not, not the Tiger's been coaxed into this, but that basically there's like a wink-wink, nod-nod, that like, please, to help, the fe to, to help the cup, it would be nice if you could play. I think if Tiger shows any kind of form in Japan, he's in, and I think it comes down to, to, to three spots. I really do, and then I think at this point in time, as long as he continues playing well, and we're going to see Patrick Reed playing over in Europe because he does like to finish off that European tour schedule. So yeah, plus he's a member. The better guys at keeping himself playing competitive tournaments year round, regardless of if it's in Asia, if it's in Europe, or if it's in the United States. Uh, so we might not see him on our PGA Tour leaderboards, but that's not meaning that he's not playing or contending in tournaments on the other side of the pond. Um, but I, I really, I don't see how you could not give him a pick at this point with the win at the Barclays, or sorry, the uh, the Northern Trust, the win at the Northern Trust, and then, of course, uh, what he's done in not only Ryder Cup, but also President's Cup, which is coming up here in December. Um, and then I just think Tony Finau is such a consistent player and played as well as he did in the Ryder Cup, and, and the way he just hits at nine miles. I, I there, there was something about that team environment that I thought brought out in a, another level in him. And I, I would want somebody like that who's so young and so freakishly talented and right on the cusp of doing some really special things in his career. I think that guy's worth a shot. So then you go, those two I would think are almost locked at this point. Tiger, as you mentioned, if he's got any kind of form, 
um, you would think would be in for sure. And, and so that leaves that fourth spot. I think it's kind of a flex. Do you go Fowler? Do you go Arevi? Do you go a Matthew Wolf? I mean, there's so many options with that fourth spot, and I really do think it comes down to one, maybe two, if Tiger decides he's not healthy enough and is absolutely unequivocally not going to risk his health to play in the President's Cup. And and remember, too, Sean, Gary Woodland probably makes his team if his wife doesn't give birth in the middle of the summer. Because he would have played, even if he played marginal golf, he would have played enough events to where he would have probably accumulated enough points to make it. So that's another wrinkle in this. You have the U.S. Open champion who just because of when his wife happened to give birth, the timing of which robbed him of some starts. That's that's an interesting wrinkle in, in this too. The final thing before I let you go, really quickly, the best finish of the 2019-20 PGA Tour season will be in what event? Oh, boy. Here's a really oddball question. Is every because you can argue the 3M Open had the best, you know, the whole Matthew Wolf um, Morikawa thing has the best finish all year besides Augusta. What will be your best? What will be the best finish of 2019-20? You can't be wrong with this. We're making predictions in the future. You know what? I, I'm going to say this because I feel like this tournament has lended itself to a series of fireworks in a number of different years. There's also been some years where guys run away with it. But from everything I've heard, everything about Cromwell and everything about the Travelers makes that tournament a rock star. And there's been, whether it was Kevin uh, Stroud chip in a few years ago, uh, the Jay Williamson and Hunter Mahan um, playoff, even a couple of years before that, Jordan Spieth pulling out from the bunker, uh, it lends itself to fireworks. I'm going to go Travelers Championship. Lends itself to more fireworks. It's going to be the one that's going to have the most exciting finish. Might not be with necessarily name brand guys, for lack of better terms, that we are more familiar with, but I think it'll be an exciting one. I'm going to go the opposite field event in Bermuda. Brand new. Nobody knows what's going to happen. Could be anything. You know and those islands tend to be windswept, so that could be interesting going to be windswept and then there's going to be a bunch of guys who might not ordinarily get to make PGA Tour start who find themselves on a leaderboard with a life-changing opportunity in front of them. So yeah. possibly go wrong. Sean Davison, thank you as always for coming on Teeing It Up. Thanks as always for having me. Thanks as always for listening, folks. We appreciate it. See you next time.